This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. It's Sunday, December 16th. I'm Margaret Brennan, and this is Face the Nation. With pressure building on both legal and legislative fronts, President Trump paid his respects at Arlington Cemetery on a gloomy Saturday pausing to praise a federal judge's ruling that invalidates the Affordable Care Act. It was a big ruling, a great ruling for our country. Obamacare coverage will continue during the appeals process, but millions of Americans could be left without health insurance. And on the assumption that the Supreme Court upholds, uh, we will get great, great health care for our people. We'll have to sit down with the Democrats to do it, but I'm sure they want to do it also. But after a spectacular Oval Office squabble with Democrats over the president's demand for border wall funding, is agreement on anything in the new year possible? There are no votes in the House, a majority vote, for a wall, no matter where you exactly start. Exactly right. You don't have if to I the needed house. the votes for the wall in the House, I would have them in one session well, would be do done. It. Do it. And we I am disagree. proud, and I'll we tell disagree. you what, I am proud to shut down the government for border security, Chuck. And that shutdown could come over the Christmas holiday, unless there's a compromise to continue funding the government. Plus, the revolving door in the Trump administration continues. As one position is filled temporarily, another opens up. We'll talk with White House Senior Advisor Stephen Miller, Wyoming Republican Senator John Barrasso, and Minnesota Democratic Senator Amy Klobuchar. Plus, we'll look at the president's growing legal problems and have analysis on all the news just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. We begin today with White House Senior Advisor Stephen Miller. He is the president's point person on policy. Uh, good to have you here in studio. It's uh, great this, to be here. Thank you. Merry Christmas. And Merry Christmas to you. This federal judge and the decision to strike down Obamacare is unconstitutional. This could put at risk about 20 million Americans who rely on it for coverage, including Medicare and Medicaid. That numbers from the Kaiser Family Foundation. What is your reaction and how do you reassure those Americans that they're okay? Well, obviously, there's no change immediately in Obamacare. There hasn't been a nationwide injunction. Obamacare was ruled to be unconstitutional. We've always known that Obamacare was unconstitutional. The more important question is whether Democrats are going to work with Republicans once Obamacare is ultimately struck down, which we believe it will be, to come up with a replacement plan that protects pre-existing conditions, helps the 28 million Americans who, because of Obamacare, still don't have access to health insurance, and keeps prices low through robust competition. So to be clear there, you're predicting that this goes to the Supreme Court and that the Supreme Court ultimately strikes down. I believe that's the likeliest outcome because Obamacare has always been unconstitutional. And the mandate... Well, uh, technically, this decision wasn't possible until the tax law was put into place. But uh, in, in terms of what this means for the 20 million Americans, it does create some uncertainty and right, we also disruption about, We also have to think about the 28 million Americans who still don't have health insurance because Obamacare didn't work. Fortunately, because of the dramatic action this administration has taken, we've increased choice, we've increased competition, and for the first time in a long time, premiums on the exchanges are going down, not up. So will the president instruct Republican governors to continue to implement the law until there is a, a replacement? Well, everybody's bound by the law as long as the law is in effect. I think the important thing, again, is for real bipartisanship to happen, for Democrats to work together with Republicans. You have lawmakers from both so sides of the aisle in your show today. you on a new health care law? Obamacare was a disaster. Fortunately, again, the president has taken significant action to bring down the price of insurance on the exchanges, but Obamacare never worked. For example, even on the issue of pre-existing conditions, 
uh, an American family, say, earning $80,000 a year with a few children, has to pay exorbitant out-of-pocket costs if they have pre-existing conditions. But if the court, we can do as so much more. strikes down the law, then those pre-existing condition protections are also gone. The, so are a you flawed, a flawed law, the a flawed law? law would be off the books. And this president, working with members of both parties, would be able to replace it with something that not only expands choice, expands competition, enshrines purchasing across state lines, but also protects pre-existing conditions in a much better way than the current law does. So the president said yesterday he wants repeal and replace handled a little bit differently, reference to a failed attempt by Republicans in the past, and that he'll sit down with Democrats if the Supreme Court upholds the ruling. So are you predicting that you spend the next year crafting a new law from scratch? This administration is going to be working with members of both parties, not only on health care reform, but also reducing the price of prescription drugs, infrastructure. We have an extremely ambitious domestic agenda. And, of course, at the forefront of that agenda is the vital issue of border security. But you weren't able to do that with a Republican majority in both houses. Now you have a Democratic majority in as the, the president, As the president has made very clear, the new Democrat House affords us the opportunity as a country to craft real bipartisan solutions on all the issues I just mentioned and many more. Well, you do have many more, um, and I want to actually switch to another area you're right. a key voice on, and that is uh, immigration, and also want to talk about the possible shutdown here. One very particular case here, this seven-year-old migrant girl uh, who passed away, she was a migrant from Guatemala named Jacqueline Call. She died some hours after passing into U.S. territory while she was under the protection of Customs and Border Patrol. Who bears responsibility for her death? Our hearts break for the tragic death of the seven-year-old girl. The loss of that precious life is horrifying. It is a painful reminder of the ongoing humanitarian tragedy that is illegal immigration and the misery that it spreads. A Coyote dropped off 163 migrants in an extremely remote section of New Mexico. Uh, those individuals were found by Border Patrol, who, in many cases, act as first responders. In fact, Border Patrol saves about 4,000 lives every single year. Unfortunately, hundreds die on the dangerous trek up. Smuggling organizations profit off death and misery. They are vicious, vile organizations. And it's time that both parties had the appropriate level of outrage over the fact that these organizations Patrol, though, continue to take advantage. they equipped to deal with the record number of families coming across. Why aren't they? One of the great tragedies that is going on in our country today is the loopholes in our immigration laws and the deficiencies in our immigration laws and left-wing activist judicial rulings that incentivize the most vulnerable populations to come to our country. Last year, and the administration hasn't been able to deter them last from year, making that Last trip. year, 100,000 unaccompanied alien children or children traveling with adults showed up at our southern border. Mm -hmm. President Trump took dramatic action, issued an executive order directing illegal traffic to the ports of entry. But a left-wing activist judge issued a reckless nationwide injunction on the president's order, putting thousands of lives at risk and further enriching these grotesque, and a, a record number continue to cross. I, I want to quickly though, get to, to because only, we're going to run out of time. Way, I want to get to this question of the border wall, which I know you're a huge advocate for. Uh, we are about five days from potential government shutdown, and Republican leadership says there's no plan. What is the president's plan, and will he shut it down to get this five billion in border wall funding? We're going to do whatever is necessary to build the border wall to stop this ongoing crisis of illegal immigration. And that means this is, a, this is a very, if it comes to it, absolutely. This is a very fundamental issue. At stake is the question of whether or not the United States remains a sovereign country, whether or not we can establish and enforce rules for entrance into our country. The Democrat Party is a simple choice. They can either choose to fight for America's working class or to promote illegal immigration. You can't do both. Is there wiggle room on that $5 billion? I'm not going to negotiate the details on air with you right now. Well, Senator Schumer said this morning you're not getting the border wall in if the, any form. If the, Democrat Party wants any to, form. if the Democrat Party wants to go down the road of continuing to preserve a model that enriches smuggling organizations, that spreads misery on both sides of the border, that kills 300 Americans a week through heroin overdoses alone. By the way, illegal heroin costs our country $230 billion every you're, you're single year. You're talking about the intent of these migrants and, and trying to stop that, which really gets you more to the diplomatic issues of why people are fleeing in the first place, not the border wall itself. But the largest it increases, shutdown, the largest increases... Are we going to have a shutdown over Christmas? As you yourself acknowledge, the largest increases in illegal immigration 
are categories that are incentivized by loopholes in our laws and loopholes created by activist left-wing judges, including the district court that. judge. I said there are record number happening right now. In the, the categories that correspond with these loopholes and the interventions, reckless, lawless interventions of district court judges. And this president has taken historic action to stem the tide of illegal immigration and to fight for working people in this country. And this is his last best chance to get a border wall before Democrats. And we want we, it's time that both parties, and this is what the American people want, both parties to come together for the sake of American children, for the sake of children all across this hemisphere, to create a lawful system of immigration, okay. not the lawless chaos Stephen, that has been perpetuated for too many it's decades. It's good to have you in studio. I want to get to one of the lawmakers who's going to actually have to do what you're telling him he has to do, and that is Wyoming Republican Senator John Barrasso, uh, who's also a doctor, we should note. He was a key negotiator in the efforts to come up with a Republican measure that would replace Obamacare. Uh, I do want to get to that, but picking up on where Stephen just left off. He says shutdown may still happen if necessary to get this money for the border wall. It's $5 billion. Are Americans going to see a shutdown over Christmas? I would certainly hope not. I'm working to the fact of keeping the government open. I think that's what the American people expect of the people that they elect. Keep the government open. And if there's any sort of a shutdown, it would certainly only be a partial shutdown. Remember, Margaret, we... Uh, through the appropriations process, already have approved 75% of the funding for the government for the next year. But I still think it's better to not have any sort of even a partial shutdown, uh, whether it's over Christmas or any time. I don't think people benefit by You're that. You're in Republican leadership. Senator John Corn and your uh, colleague said there's no plan right now from the White House. Did you hear a plan here today? Do you know what the White House is asking you to do? Well, I know we're trying in the House and the Senate to come up with a proposal to get passed in both of those bodies before Friday the 21st and then send that to the White House, which I hope the president would choose to sign. And so that could be anything from a short-term continuing resolution that takes us right up to the beginning of a, of a Democratic majority in January? Or, I mean, what wiggle room there, is there? There are a number of different options. That's one. Another is either longer term. Uh, I would like to get actually all the appropriations bills passed. I think we do much better governing uh, for our country if we do the whole thing through the appropriations process. We were able to do 75 percent of the funding. We still have a ways to go. But border security is critical mm -hmm. to this country. It, it is part, to me, of national security, along with our economic security, our energy security security. Border security is key to us as a nation. And I think many would agree with you. I guess it's the getting to that point that's the problem. Senator Schumer says no way, no how, no wall, period. Well, there are a lot of things you need to do with border security. One is a physical barrier, but also the technology, the manpower, uh, the enforcement, all of those things. And our current laws are in some ways an incentive for people to come to this country illegally, and they go through great risk and po possibly great so that harm. that could be a, a, another compromise, like Senator Susan Collins was out there talking about a $2.5 billion uh, compromise rather than the $5 billion that the president is asking for. Well, the, there are people working on this to get to a conclusion so the government will remain open, which is what I believe the American people would prefer. I want to switch to health care. Um, this ruling on Friday, uh, it seemed the timing caught some people by surprise, uh, but the decision was that Obamacare, according to this federal judge in Texas, was deemed unconstitutional. What do you make of that? Well, the, the one part of the health care law that we took out with the tax law was the individual mandate that people had to pay a fine. Uh, the Democrats didn't even offer an amendment to, to leave it in the bill because they know that of the people that were paying this fine, millions have paid the fine. Most of them earned less than 50000 a year. So it was very punishing the money they could have used to see a doctor for their child or their family. That point because so that the removal of that provision is was, what opened the court to be able to make this decision. It said if the mandate goes away, then other things go away. Mm -hmm. You know, as a doctor, people say to me, what does this mean to me? And for right now, very little. If you're a doctor, if you're getting treatment, if you have a pre-existing condition, if you signed up for Obamacare on this recent uh, sign-up period, it doesn't change a thing. But it could well, if the Supreme Court upholds this ruling. Which would be, a we have a different makeup of the Supreme Court. It may be several years till it gets there. But as a doctor, I will tell you, I focus on people with pre-existing conditions. I've always been focused as I was working on health care legislation to make sure people could get the care they need from a doctor that they choose at lower costs. And we didn't get that in Wyoming. We had a after Obamacare was passed, many people lost their insurance. Premiums doubled. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't a, that doesn't give people 
affordable insurance that's appropriate for them and their families. The coverage of pre-existing conditions was protected under the Affordable mm -hmm. Care Act. So if this ruling is upheld, that goes away. Are you, uh, as a Republican leader, looking to craft an entirely new law from whole cloth? Or are you looking at amending uh, the Affordable Care Act? I think government never does big things really well. I'm for more of a step-by-step, -step, and I want to start with the first step of people with pre-existing conditions. My, my wife, Bobby, is a breast cancer survivor. She's been through three operations, chemotherapy twice, and I will tell you, as a husband as well as a doctor, I am committed to helping people with pre-existing conditions. We can do that. There are a number of ways uh, to do it. Uh, one is what Maine has done in terms of their high-risk people, helping with them with additional subsidies, but at the same time, then it allows insurance to be much cheaper, more affordable, for other people. So I want to do our, our children's health insurance plan that works across the country. It works so well because states have a bigger say in that. When I was in our state Senate in Wyoming, we knew that what we wanted to do in Wyoming may not fit what people would want in New York State. But if you give states that flexibility and freedom to do what works best with the money, I think it works much better for families and for patients. Republicans weren't able to repeal and replace with Republican majorities in both chambers. You're going to have to work with Democrats to get any kind of new legislation through. What are you actually, when does this begin? What are you actually proposing here? Yeah, and I want to work with additional Democrats. But what we're seeing right now from the Democrat side, and you see whether it was Bernie Sanders or so many of the Democrat candidates for president in 2020, they're talking about a different step away from Obamacare as well. They agree that Obamacare hasn't worked, and they're talking about a program of a complete government takeover of health care with increased taxes and fewer choices and longer lines. And that, to me, doesn't help people in the, in the long run. I talked to people yesterday. I was in Wyoming at a wreath ceremony at our, at our cemetery. I talked to somebody on Medicare. They said, we don't want Medicare for all. We've paid into Medicare our whole life. This isn't the time to put more people onto that program. We want to make sure that that is saved and strengthened and, and, and held for people that are already on the program and have paid in over their lifetime. Senator, thank you for being here. You certainly have your work cut out for you. Thanks for having and me. And we will be tracking uh, that. There's a lot more Face the Nation ahead. What's your next adventure? Everyone deserves a chance to do what they love. Pacific Life helps you reach financial goals while you go after your personal ones. Plans change over time and your financial solutions can too. Pacific Life has a variety of financial solutions that can help you complement your life goals and passions while managing the uncertainties. Backed by more than 150 years of experience, you can count on Pacific Life to be there so you can go out and keep living your best life. Pacific Life is one of the most dependable and experienced insurers in the industry and has been named one of the 2019 world's most ethical companies by the Ethisphere Institute. The freedom to go after whatever is next for you? That's the power of Pacific. Ask a financial professional about how Pacific Life can help give you the freedom to do what you love or visit www.pacificlife.com. We're back now with Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar, a key Democratic voice on the Judiciary Committee. Senator, good to have you here. Thank you so much. It's great to be on, Margaret. We had this significant decision out of Texas on Friday with this federal judge striking down Obamacare as uh, unconstitutional. And you have tweeted, now it's on us and the Democratic Attorney Generals, let's get to work. What does that mean? Well, what that means is because you have an administration, and you just heard it, uh, that basically is standing while the house is burning down, and instead of going in there and putting on the fire, they're throwing lighter fluid on it in terms of tweets and rhetoric and things they're saying. The ruling was absurd. Justice Roberts in a conservative court has already ruled that the Affordable Care Act is constitutional, unlike what Mr. Miller said, um, and in fact, you can have part of it um, not exist, and you can still have the rest of it protect Americans. And that is exactly where this is headed. And I can say that this is about, first of all, throwing people off of their insurance, no protection uh, with pre-existing conditions, kids staying on their parents' insurance till they're 26 years old, a very popular and important protection, Medicaid expanded for millions of Americans. That's what we're talking about here. And for them just to throw up their hands and say, well, uh, it'd be great if we just started from scratch. That's not what the American people believe. Just look at the results from the last election. Senator uh, Barrasso, who was just here, said that 
he does think there's room for legislation to protect pre-existing conditions. One of the things that would get thrown out with this ruling if it's upheld. But I would just you... mentioned a number of other things that would also have to be done. So the best thing here... But is there is... room for Democrats to work on those sort of issue-specific things? There's always room to work on things, but the best way, and what I believe will happen is, this will be stayed in court, so it continues to take effect. Then it will go up on appeal. It will be upheld. But what we should be doing is governing from opportunity and not chaos. That means doing something about pharmaceutical prices and passing my bill to allow Medicare to negotiate for less expensive drugs for our seniors and letting less expensive safe drugs come in from other countries so that we can actually have competition. Doing something about premiums with reinsurance and some of the things going on in the states. So yes, there are things to do, but we should be working to improve the Affordable Care Act, not just throw it out and set it on fire. You heard some disagreement among Republicans on how to do that. There's also disagreement within the Democratic Party on how to handle health care. Uh, former Attorney General Eric Holder says it's time now to move to some version of Medicare for all and end this nonsense. That was his reaction to Friday's ruling. Do you agree with him? We need universal health care, and there are many ways to get there. That is one of them. The other is to at least expand Medicare to age 55. Uh, there's a number of bills uh, that I'm part of, uh, including allowing the expansion of Medicaid, which I think is something we're not talking enough about. Uh, that Senator Schatz from Hawaii is leading, um, and then, of course, allowing for an expansion of Medicare. So there's many things we can do, but right now, with an administration in place that seems bound and determined to take away people's health care, we have to protect the ability of people to even have their health care exist, because they are talking about throwing them off for pre-existing conditions. As we mentioned, you sit on the Judiciary Committee. Uh, I want to ask you about some testimony before your committee this week from Customs and Border Patrol. We mentioned the, the case here of this seven-year-old from Guatemala, this migrant girl who died tragically uh, after passing into U.S. territory. Should um, the commissioner of CBP said to you during that testimony that this had happened? It wasn't disclosed until days later. Yeah, I just went back and looked at that testimony. I look at the face of that sweet little girl, seven-year-old Jacqueline Call. She looks like the faces of the kids that were in my daughter's second grade class. And he came and testified before us, and I asked him if he regretted any of the Trump immigration policies. And he said he did, but he didn't even mention that this had happened. Under law, they're supposed to tell Congress within 24 hours if someone dies. So we clearly have to get to the bottom of that. But the second thing is comprehensive immigration reform so that we can have some order at the border and that we can have a smart plan that works for our country, uh, including a path to citizenship and doing something about states like mine uh, where we don't have enough workers in our fields and in our factories, uh, making sure that we have smart policies that work with fencing and other things. And that's not what they're talking about. What they're talking about is chaos. What, are you laying responsibility on the U.S. government for this little girl's death? I just want to get it investigated and figure out exactly what happened. But what I do believe is that if we just keep playing games with people's lives, that's what they're doing. They're playing games with people's lives. They're playing games with a shutdown, which last time cost $20 billion, the Ted Cruz shutdown uh, for our economy. Uh, they are playing games uh, with members of Congress. They take the leaders of Congress into the White House and create a media circus instead of just sitting down and negotiating. Do I think that we can avoid a shutdown? Of course I do, because there's people on both sides of the aisle that want to find common ground. I think that's possible. But the way that they're acting is not furthering the attempt um, to make sure that our government is steady at a time when the stock market is careening and we've got a judge throwing out the health care bill. I want to quickly ask you about a sexual harassment bill that you have been a key voice on. But to answer the criticism from the White House, don't mm -hmm. Democrats need to show some flexibility? to avoid this shutdown? We have suggested so many things. Comprehensive immigration reform that passed the Senate would have brought down the debt by $158 billion. And there was significant funding in there for border security. We just did it with a Dreamers mm -hmm. deal that was bipartisan that was suggested. So, of course, we're willing to work with them. But as pointed out by Speaker Pelosi, there aren't the votes for that wall. Did your sexual harassment bill become law? We're very excited. The president is going to sign it into law. Uh, this is a bill that finally says to America, we got rules in place that don't protect politics that protect victims, and it's time to clean up this mess.
Thank you, Senator. Thank you, Margaret. Just ahead, we'll take a look at the president's legal troubles, and we will be joined by former attorney to Michael Cohen, Lanny Davis, who is here in studio with us. And we'll be right back with a lot more Face the Nation. We hope you'll stay with us. Memories make us laugh and cry. And sometimes cringe when we look back at our fashion choices. But in between flashbacks of bowl cuts and dad jeans, our memories are fading. And so is the old media that holds them. Hi, I'm Adam Baselogger. And I'm Nick Mako, and we're the founders of Legacy Box. Legacy Box is the easiest and safest way to preserve your family memories. Here's how it works. Fill Legacy Box with your outdated media. We professionally digitize and send them back on DVDs, thumb drive, or the cloud. Look, those forgotten home movies, VHS tapes, film reels, and photos are degrading right before your eyes. Experience peace of mind and enjoy reliving the glory days. Join more than half a million families who have already trusted Legacy Box. Save your memories today. Visit LegacyBox.com save. And for a limited time, get 40% off your order. That's LegacyBox.com slash save for 40% off. LegacyBox.com slash save. Welcome back to Face the Nation. Last week, President Trump's former personal attorney, Michael Cohen, was sentenced to three years in prison. Joining us now is his former attorney, Lanny Davis, uh, who now, because of the sentencing, is no longer serving as attorney, but as a friend, as a spokesperson and counselor. Uh, The president tweeted this morning about your former client. Remember, Michael Cohen only became a rat after the FBI did something that was absolutely unthinkable and unheard of, and they broke into an attorney's office. What is your response to that? This is the top law enforcement officer in our system of government calling somebody who decides to tell the government the truth a rat. That's the language of a mobster, not of the president. But Michael Cohen took ownership and personal responsibility for lying, and he's going to jail as a consequence. And he authorized me several times to say he wouldn't take a pardon from Donald Trump if it was handed to him. So he now so is... never discussed? Never. But he announced ahead of time, wouldn't take it even if it was handed to him. And let's remember that Michael Cohen has corroborating evidence for everything that he has said. Mr. Mueller certainly does. On the issue of the purpose of the money paid to Stormy Daniels, the same man who called Michael Cohen a rat denied on Air Force One to the American people that he knew anything about Stormy Daniels. And Mr. Giuliani, who this morning was on television accusing Michael Cohen of lying, the very next day waived attorney-client privilege and said, no, his client did pay Stormy Daniels. So Michael Cohen is now taking ownership in his statement to the court of his personal responsibility for his behavior when he worked for Donald Trump. Now that he saw Donald Trump as president, he underwent a genuine transformation because he feared for his country and his family Mm -hmm. when Donald Trump was president. And just quickly to clarify, the president says the FBI broke into his office. I believe Michael Cohen said that it was a okay transaction with the FBI, something he consented to. He not only consented to, he thanked them for their courtesy as they left. And you have a president denouncing the FBI, lying about a warrant, an illegal search, and he's the top law enforcement officer of the country. And who does he praise? He praises people who have lied and refused to cooperate, the opposite of what a president should do. You said that uh, Michael Cohen has evidence to back up his allegations here. Yes. In the sentencing memo, uh, the special counsel wrote that he provided useful information concerning Russia-related matters core to its investigation. Does that mean, are you saying, that Cohen actually has evidence of conspiracy with Russia? So the one thing I can't do when I was his lawyer and now that I'm his advisor is to get in front of Mr. Mueller's findings. So I can't answer your question, but I will tell you this. Well, what did you mean by evidence then? What did Mr. Cohen mean by evidence or Mr. Mueller mean by evidence? I can't tell you anything about what Mr. Mueller meant. Let's wait. But I can tell you that when he used the words core issues, those words are about the Russian investigation. And Mr. Mueller is careful with his words. And he also mentioned that Mr. Cohen provided information regarding the Moscow Trump Tower and that he was contacted by a senior government official and 
the press secretary to Vladimir Putin. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot in the Mueller memo that tells you how forthcoming for 70 hours in seven meetings Michael Cohen was with Mr. Mueller. Prosecutors also said uh, he provided information concerning contacts with persons connected to the White House during 2017-2018. Can you tell us who he was in contact with? Again, I can't uh, tell you. I'll wait for Mr. Mueller to tell you. But just think about it. He publishes ahead of time, which Mr. Mueller criticized him for, his testimony that was a lie about the Moscow Trump Tower. He calls the White House, and the president knows from the published testimony that he's about to lie. Not one person from the White House, I can tell you this, ever said, don't lie. Did he need to be told that? Well, he guess he did need to be told that because he ended up lying and he was regretted it and he's going to jail for it. And he said to the court in his heartfelt way, I take ownership and I don't blame anybody but myself and apologize for that. Uh, The president's attorney, Rudy Giuliani, is defending his client um, and saying that Michael Cohen is just a liar, a serial liar. And he's pointing to the idea that there's no way he was ever loyal to President Trump since he surreptitiously recorded him. So I can why see, did he do that? I can see why Mr. Giuliani mentions recordings, because he flat out lied when he said that there was no mention of cash by President Trump on the tape recording that I went on CNN to play. It was Mr. Giuliani who lied about it. That tape recording is evidence that the primary purpose of the payoff of the hush money to Ms. Daniels was the election. It says so on the tape. Mr. Pecker from AMI corroborates it, and others will corroborate it. Mr. Giuliani going on the air today, ignoring the fact the FEC never ruled Mm -hmm. that what John Edwards did was appropriate. That's a lie. There was never a ruling. And we'll see what the facts, which is something alien to Mr. Giuliani and Mr. Trump, let's see what the facts show. We're going to talk about uh, what all of this means uh, for the president. Thank you. Um, Ahead on Face the Nation, we'll have some analysis. Are you having trouble sleeping? NFL players have been coached. Blue light from smart devices, it can affect your sleep. They'll even wear blue blocker glasses in the evening for improved sleep. Others will try tart cherry juice and smoothies. Not only can it help fight inflammation, but to help you sleep, it's got high amounts of natural melatonin that's beneficial for sleep. The other night, my girlfriend told me I was snoring way too much and even the earplugs weren't helping. So the next day, she took me to the Sleep Number store because if I was snoring, at least she could get a good night's sleep on a Sleep Number bed. Sleep Number beds allow you to adjust on each side to your ideal firmness, comfort, and support. The Sleep Number 360 smart bed senses your movement and automatically adjusts to keep you sleeping comfortably through the night. With Sleep IQ technology inside the bed, it tracks how you're sleeping so you can know every morning how well you've slept and gain insights for your best sleep. Experience the smart, effortless comfort of the Sleep Number 360 smart bed. Find your competitive edge with proven quality sleep from $999. Sleep Number is the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL. You'll only find Sleep Number at one of their 575 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Find the one nearest you at sleepnumber.com slash cadence. That's sleepnumber.com slash C-A-D-E-N-C-E. Sleep Number. Today's Washington Post makes the observation about President Trump that nearly every organization that he's led in the past decade is under investigation. To help us make sense of where we are in some of those investigations, we're joined now by Trevor Potter. He is the former chairman of the Federal Election Commission and our CBS News correspondent, Paula Reed, who has been covering the Trump investigations. Um, And you have your plate full there, Paula, with that (laughs) description there. Uh, First off, I want to let you respond. Was there anything there in the defense of Michael Cohen from Lanny Davis um, that stood out to you? Well, you really hit it. it. You said, well, did he need to be told not to lie? And that's the common theme that we see emerging throughout all of these investigations of the president, his attorneys, and their associates having trouble with the truth, being caught lying, having to plead guilty to lying. That has been a consistent theme. And I think you asked the perfect question was, did the White House need to tell him not to lie? He could have done that of his own volition. And that is something that has come up with Michael Flynn, the former national security advisor to the president, some defending him saying, well, it wasn't disclosed to him that he shouldn't lie when he was speaking to FBI agents. Is that entrapment as is being suggested? 
Absolutely not. I mean, the special counsel came out hitting pretty hard this week against these claims by Flynn and his lawyers that he was somehow caught off guard by his FBI interview. And they released a memo and they said, look, you got a call from the deputy director of the FBI. You set up a voluntary interview at the location of your choice. You have three decades of public service. You've worked with the FBI. You know not to lie. We didn't do this to you. You did it to yourself. Trevor, um, in an op-ed this week, you say that the president could become the target of a very serious campaign finance investigation, a criminal one. A lot of the defenders of the president say this, this is small ball. This isn't something that actually gets, uh, while it gets to the doorstep of the president, it doesn't actually become something that could uh, really become a legal issue for him. Why do you disagree? Well, it's been an extraordinary week. You had the president's lawyer, Mr. Giuliani, say it's not a big deal. No one was killed. That is not the standard for uh, the president of the United States in terms of complying with the law or all of these people around him. You know, if it were, we wouldn't have bank fraud prosecutions, uh, money laundering, all sorts of other issues. Uh, what we have is a law that's central to our election system, to our democracy, that requires full disclosure of campaign spending and prohibits corporate money from being given to a candidate. And that's and, where the AMI disclosure matters. Correct. The, the owners of the National Enquirer, who agreed, apparently in a meeting with candidate Trump, to use their corporate money to buy the story and prevent the American public from knowing about it right in the middle of the run-up to the general election. But the president's attorney, Rudy Giuliani, says... None of this really is illegal because it wasn't direct campaign finance money. These were private payments. Well, they weren't private payments. It turns out they were by uh, a corporation or by Mr. Cohen uh, in amounts in excess of what he could give. But I think the bigger picture here is the attempt to hide all this from the public. I mean, the Supreme Court has said that central to our campaign finance system is full disclosure of money being spent. Instead, what we've seen is this pattern of trying to deceive the public and hide the, the sources of money, and as I've said, in some cases, what apparently are illegal sources of money. Paula, when it comes to the special counsel's investigation, because we're putting the other ones uh, aside, how close are we to the conclusion of this? Well, Rudy Giuliani and others, they've consistently said for months that it's wrapping up. I think just a, a couple of moments ago, he said, oh, it's just down to parking tickets. Well, that's just not true. And we know that's not true for a few reasons. First of all, we still have the outstanding issues surrounding the prosecution of Paul Manafort. He won't even be sentenced until February in one case and then March in another. We also know that the grand jury continues to hear from witnesses. Uh, we know they've called witnesses uh, regarding Roger Stone. We know they're in talks with Jerome Corsi about a possible plea deal that appears to fall through. I mean, to resolve all of these things, this is going to take months. So anyone that suggests that this is all wrapping up, that is just not true. So you're projecting out to the spring. Likely, yes. At least till March. I mean, that's when Manafort will be sentenced. And the special counsel continues to exist until each one of its discrete cases is completely resolved. Trevor, in your op-ed, I mean, you take a kind of bleak view about what all of this means for the state of the country. You say there's really just deterioration in respect for the rule of law. Well, I, I think the point there is that um, you have the defenders of the president, as well as the president himself, saying that violations of law don't matter. And, and I don't think that's where we are uh, as a country. We believe in the rule of law. You can make the argument, well, it's more or less important. I obviously think it's more important. But to, to say we're just going to ignore violations of law because it's politically uh, convenient to, we don't want to talk about it, is... Uh, I think a real problem for the, the country. These are laws that were enacted after the Watergate reforms uh, when we learned the problems of corruption, of secret money in elections, of payments of hush money. Richard Nixon's lawyer went to jail for payments of hush money uh, that were you know, cash payments not disclosed. And I, and I think the, the point that Paula makes is an important one, which is there are a lot of investigations all of a sudden. You open every door and there is potentially illegal activity behind it. The inaugural committee we now know about. Last week, the uh, plea by the uh, Russian uh, woman who was uh, working with the NRA uh, and organizing trips to Moscow and organizing Russians to meet American politicians. All of this connected to uh, different aspects of the Trump campaign with a number of U.S. attorney's offices looking at it. So it's not just the special counsel at this stage. And they all involve people who are close to the president, including uh, mm -hmm. family members. Trevor, 
Thank you, Paula. Always good to have you on. We'll be right back with our political panel, so stay with us. I used to think that all diet and weight loss plans were the same. Well, not anymore, because I found Noom. Noom is a new and totally different approach to losing weight and getting healthy that uses psychology and small goals to help change your habits. So it's easy to lose the weight and keep it off for good. Noom combines the power of technology with real human support, offering as little or as much help as you want along the way. And since Noom is an app, it's always with you and easy to use, which makes it super easy to stay on track and reach your goals. Plus, it's really simple to get started. Just go online, answer a few quick questions, and they'll create a personalized program just for you. Noom helped me lose my old way of thinking about food and dieting. So what do you have to lose? Visit noom.com slash podcast, N-O-O-M dot slash podcast, and start your 14-day trial today. Like they say, change your habits, change your mind, and change for good with Noom. It's time now for some political analysis. Ben Dominich is the founder and publisher of The Federalist. Kelsey Snell covers Congress for NPR. Ed Wong is a diplomatic and international correspondent for The New York Times. And Margaret Talib is senior White House correspondent at Bloomberg News. Um, Kelsey, are you canceling your Christmas plans? <laughs> I am not canceling them shutdown? just yet. I would say that depending upon who you talk to, the, the guess is about 50-50 or maybe a little bit less than 50-50 that a shutdown will happen. There really is still the possibility that they could pass something short-term, not a big spending bill that gets them through the end of the year on that remaining 25% of the government, but something short, maybe until the middle of January or the beginning of February, just to give them some breathing room and to keep negotiating. That seems the likeliest scenario right now because it's the easiest thing to right and the easiest thing to pass. But that opens a new can of worms because you have a different complexion in Congress uh, starting in January. Yeah, you absolutely do. And I think it's also a big challenge, particularly for Democrats in the House who don't want to get into this fight right at the very beginning of taking power because they're going to have to be facing off against the president and potentially making compromises that many of these people were elected saying that they would never compromise on. So it, it, it would be more difficult for some Democrats in particular to move this conversation to January. And the president realizes that, right. which is exactly why we saw what happened this week. I mean, the, the president, we have to keep in mind that his role within this kind of shutdown uh, potential battle is going to be different than other Republicans. When uh, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi showed up at the White House and said the word shutdown as if it was this magical incantation that would make the president back off, he clearly leaned into it instead. And I think that that factors into his calculation. Now, he may be in a, alone in that calculus. Uh, one of the factors that I think we have to keep in mind here is that Mitt Mulvaney, the incoming chief of staff, may have some strong opinions about the shutdown. We don't know potentially what those are, and that could factor into the way the White House plays this. Well, you're hearing from Republicans, though, and you also heard some description from Senator Barrasso, is that this isn't a whole-scale shutdown, sort of. This is shutdown light. <laughs> it's not that big of a deal. Is it, Margaret? Yeah, but shutdown light happens to affect... Uh, border agents and TSA agents at a time of the year when both of those issues, one for travel reasons and the other for political and policy reasons, are very much on everyone's mind. Um, there are kind of two factors that I see at play here, and one is that the president himself has been fascinated with the idea of how to use a shutdown to get a message across for months, maybe for more than a year, let's say, basically since the beginning of the administration. So inside the White House, as well as on the Hill, a lot of Republicans are like, don't do it, it's a bad idea. And he keeps, he is so attracted to the idea. On the other hand, he wants to be having the fight with Democrats, not with his own party. It's easier to have the fight with Democrats when Democrats are in charge. So I think if there's a, a patch of four weeks or something like that, that's the fight that he gets to have. And, and maybe that's the way this will shake out. Stephen Miller, one of uh, the president's closest advisors, said he's ready to go to shutdown. You think this oh, is no. theater? He, oh, he's ready. <laughs> Although he's still scheduled to leave for Mar-a-Lago at the end of uh, the week on Friday. But he's ready. But there are many people inside the White House, as well as on the Hill, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Republicans, who are like, you know... Maybe. And so there have been ongoing conversations between the White House ledge team and and those uh, Republican leadership uh, teams in, in the House for now and, and in the Senate about how to stave it off under what conditions. But that that ultimate conversation that the president wants to have about immigration reform, DACA and wall funding, the place where some kind of a compromise could be possible is probably not really possible until next year, if at all. Ed, I want to ask you, we saw 
a rare, very open crack um, between uh, the, the entirety, really, of the Republican Party and Democrats on Capitol Hill, uh, breaking from the president's defense of Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, and having this symbolic resolution, but still a statement saying uh, they believe the CIA, even if the president doesn't, uh, in terms of culpability for the killing of this journalist, Jamal Khashoggi. Is this just symbolic? Does this indicate some sort of shift at all with the party? I think it shows that uh, both Republicans and Democrats want to sort of take back the narrative of American values and sort of the um, values that we place behind human rights and other issues like this and, uh, and push back strongly against sort of the more transactional nature of President Trump's uh, pre um, policies. And so I think that going into the new year in 2019, we'll see more of that. They, they can't, both houses will take up the Yemen war resolution again and also uh, rebuke against MBS. And I think we'll see more debate on that. And I think that there's strong momentum in both sides to sort of push forward with that. Are we misreading it to say, though, that it's a break from the president, or is Congress essentially handing the White House uh, a diplomatic tool by saying, oh, look, you know, here's some leverage in your relationship to potentially force some change in Saudi Arabia? Uh, I don't, we haven't sensed any um, motivation on the part of the White House to really push forward with changes or with uh, pressing Saudi Arabia on any of its policies. So I do think that this is an authentic rebuke by Congress against the president. But keep in mind the context of this, which is just that Congress has for 18 years really ceded its power when it comes to the foreign policy issues that face this nation. We're still operating under the same AUMF. We're still operating under the same... For, the authorization for, of the use of military right. force. Mm -hmm. We're still operating under the same sort of regime that was put in place after 9-11. Congress has kicked the can on this issue time and again. And I do think it's, it's significant. It is symbolic, uh, but it is significant. Uh, but I, I think it needs to lead to more steps in order to actually have any real power. Otherwise, this is just sort of Congress saying, yes, we're still here and, and pretending as if, I mean, time and again, Congress likes to cede its power over an issue to the administrative branch and then complain about it because it's, it's, a, lot, it's a lot easier to do that than to make hard choices. We're also seeing the financial markets show some nervousness right now about the trade dispute with China, about slowdown in Europe, about Brexit. Where do we start the new year on the foreign policy front, Ed? I think that the trade war with China is the main sort of question that looms over all this. And they have that sort of 90-day grace period in which uh, the president said he wouldn't raise tariffs. And they're, in theory, they're supposed to negotiate uh, during that period. But I've heard that within the White House, um, people like Peter Navarro are still very much entrenched in their view and that they, they're hoping to ride out the 90 days and keep the tariffs on. So I think that will lead to more... Um, unsteady movement in the markets. And also, I think the shutdown that we talked about earlier will also shake up the markets. And I think that the Republicans have to be thinking about that. Margaret, Mick Mulvaney, management, uh, it now moving from OMB, sort of, and is also now chief of staff uh, for the president. You have the Interior Secretary, Ryan Zinke, departing. Yeah. Who is next, or is the president done shaking up his team? I don't think that that shakeup is done. In fact, uh, it was only a week ago uh, when the world thought that Nick Ayers would be the president's next chief of staff. But if he had come in under that arrangement they were discussing, it also would have been an interim arrangement. The president wasn't comfortable with that a week ago. Part of that interim arrangement would have been to execute the sort of staff uh, overhaul, shakeup, whatever you want to call it, that is now kind of slow rolling underway. Um, Will Mick Mulvaney execute it differently than Nick Ayers? Possibly. But it's all up to the president. It's always been up to the president. So some of the other folks who may or may not be on the chopping block, the education secretary, the commerce secretary, but it will ultimately be up to the president and always, always would have been. Um, for months now, they've been looking at those midterm elections as a reset point, understanding that if the Democrats took the House, it would change the dynamic of the second two years of the president's term. And now the president is trying to go into this new era in as strong a position as possible. So folks who have um, baggage, political weakness that could drag him down. They, he wants to be able to transition them out. In some of these places, uh, including Interior, mm -hmm. the number two and command would be able to step into that job uh, without some of that political baggage. So, yes, I do think that they're looking right now in the next few months at how many other positions they can turn over and who could step in. But, Kelsey... The president's going to need Congress to confirm them. Yeah, and that is something that I've talked to many senators about. Their concerns about 
backlogging the number of people who need to be confirmed. You have to remember, they still need to nominate and approve an attorney general. But the thing that I think is interesting about the White House strategy here is they are looking forward to Democrats in the House planning a number of investigations. And I've heard Democrats say that they don't think that just getting rid of the head of an agency is going to forestall those investigations. If it's the White House intent to avoid that, this may not be the strategy that actually gets the outcome that they're hoping for. Prepare yourself <laughs> for 2019. Um, ben, we have an interesting thing that may be happening in the next few days in Washington with criminal justice reform being promised uh, floor time. This is Jared Kushner's project that he feels personally invested in. There's been some disagreement within the Republican Party about whether it should even see the light of day. Yes. What does this signal that he was able to get Mitch McConnell to give some precious time to this bill? I think it's very significant. I mean, the, the fact is that there had been a real uh, push within the Republican coalition for criminal justice reform at the state level, uh, backed by the Koch brothers and other groups that really wanted to see it as something that was part of the Republican policy pr uh, portfolio. That really was uh, short-circuited by the existence of the Donald Trump 2016 candidacy running on a law and order message that sounded uh, more familiar to those uh, who think that we might still be living in the late 70s, um, and, uh, and frankly, the, the nomination and approval of Jeff Sessions as Attorney General was something that really short-circuited that process. Jared Kushner worked very hard within uh, the White House to try to push this forward, and I think it's significant that this was, is something yeah. that's finally seeing the light of day at the Senate level. All right. Thanks to all of you. That's it for us today. Thank you for watching. Until next week, for Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were senior advisor to the president, Stephen Miller, Wyoming Republican Senator John Barrasso, and Minnesota Democratic Senator Amy Klobuchar. Lanning Davis, former attorney to Michael Cohen, also joined us. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Allison Hawley. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com and you can follow... If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. Okay. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free, starting May 1st with a 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts.